have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, turn to your neighbor again and say, hold that Bible up. Let's go. <laughs> so now the preacher has to turn on his electronic Bible. So here we go. We are finishing up our series, Easter Eggs. We've been looking in the Old Testament at uh, passages that uh, tell us and teach us about Jesus. And uh, this one today is uh, will do that. It will uh, deal more with the um, uh, Passover and the power of blood. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. So if you have those Bibles, open them back up to Exodus 12. I'm going to begin this morning reading in verses 21 through 28. So if you would follow along with me in your Bibles, that would be awesome. Exodus 12, 21 through 28 says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, and as he has promised, you shall observe this right And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now, jump back up to verse 13, and that's where we're going to spend... Most of our time today is in verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I want you to first of all notice the significance of the blood. The significance of the blood. There's a crimson thread that weaves itself from Genesis to Revelation. And in all of the Old Testament, when you're looking for that crimson thread, it will help you understand the Old Testament better. So often we get into the Old Testament and we're going, I get bogged down, it doesn't make any sense, they're killing him, killing this, and destroying that, and wow! Is that all God does in the Old Testament? But if you'll look for that crimson thread that weaves its way through, you'll see it. This This is one example of that. In Genesis 4.4, it talks about the blood of a person. The blood of a person. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. Also, we understand about the blood, the significance of the blood, that it was for a 
family. It was for an individual, for a person, also for a family. Uh, back in verse 3 of Exodus, Speak to the, all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. And so this, this uh, blood then would be used to help cover uh, the family. Then the blood was also significant in that it would cover a nation. Look in Leviticus 16.34. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Not only person, not only family, not only nation, but also the blood significance was for the world. In John 1.29, John writes, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. And so you can see how this blood, the significance of the blood that was to be shed at this Passover was for the person and for the family and for the nation and yet even for the whole world. That blood was significant. Without the shedding of blood, there's no hope. There's no hope. But he also says in Exodus 12, 13, that there's a sign of the blood. It says, it shall be a sign to you. So this blood creates a sign. A remembering point. It shall be a sign to the destroying angel that the house in which he sees that blood sprinkled over the doorpost, under the prote- that home is under the protection of God. Leave it alone. Don't injure anyone. But there was integrity in that blood. Integrity in that blood. One of the, one of the most observed things about that blood is that all the lambs mentioned above and we talked about in the first point had to be without blemish or spot it had to be a spotless lamb so when you fast forward to the New Testament Jesus became that spotless lamb for us, that sacrifice for us, if he wasn't he wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked it just wouldn't have worked it would not have satisfied the need that God had for that shed blood. In verse 5 of Exodus 12, Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So this lamb was to be observed for four days to ensure that it had no defect in it. Pilate, you remember, Jesus stood before him and said, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Judas said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. Thief on the cross. This man has done nothing wrong. The centurion. Surely this man was the Son of God. Peter but with the precious blood of Christ as a, of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. All descriptions of the unblemished lamb that you and I 
received His forgiveness. He covered our sin with that precious blood. But what are the implications of the blood? It's another important aspect of the sign was the effectiveness of the lamb that died and the blood that was used of that lamb to protect every household in Egypt. And there were no exceptions, you'll find, with God. When He tells you to do something a certain way, we're not at liberty to change it. Oh, but we have. (laughs) Oh, but we have. But we're not at liberty to do that. We offer the communion every Sunday. That's the pattern of our church. Our Christian churches, Church of Christ, we do that. Some people say it's mundane, routine. Well, only if you allow it to be. I don't know about you, but boy, that's a critical time for me every Sunday. So I can focus, just stop and focus. How, knowing what I went through and did all last week, my actions, how could that lamb die for me? Wow. I can't even hold my tongue five minutes. Or whatever else. You see, the firstborn of every family needed the blood of that lamb. Because had they not been in the house where the lamb was covering the doorposts, they would die. Pharaoh's firstborn died. Now, you've seen it all in the movie Ten Commandments, haven't you? How Yul Brenner holds his baby and looks at Charlton Heston and says, Moses. He had, he had a great way to call him Moses. <laughs> but the tragedy of the story, he's holding his limp child who's dead. Tells him to get his people and get out. Get out. Moses tried to warn him, didn't he? Preachers are trying to warn you, aren't they? I did a funeral Friday of a man who was 51 years old. He he was an alcoholic. And it finally caught up with him. And he's not here. Hallelujah. We baptized him about four years ago. Right here. And boy, he tried. I've never seen a person try harder. (laughs) But you know, when you got a demon grabbed hold of you, sometimes they're hard to get rid of. I heard a, a, a gentleman named Tommy Oaks share this illustration one time. He said it's, and I've shared it with you before. Maybe you'll remember it. But it's like an eagle in it, when you get in its talons. When an eagle comes swooping down to the water to get a fish, where does it grab the fish? Like a hook in the mouth? No, no, no. It gets those talons across the backbone of that fish. And both of those talons wrap into the back around the backbone of that fish. That fish can wiggle all it wants to wiggle. It is going nowhere. But it's eventually that eagle has to release the talons so that it can eat. Well, I want you to consider that the talons are much like the sin that's in our life. It has a grip on us, a tight grip. And it won't turn loose of us. But with the power of God, 
we can pull the talons out. We can find forgiveness of the sin. But here's what I've discovered in my 62 years of living. Even though the talons are out, the depth of the sin takes a while to heal from the inside out. It may take a lifetime to heal. But praise God, it starts healing as soon as the talons come out. It starts to heal. And as soon as you find the blood of the Lamb covering your sin, and you believe it with all of your heart, guess what? The healing begins. And you'll have power that you never knew. You'll have a relationship that you never knew. You'll have a joy that doesn't make any sense. Now I want you to take a look at the importance of the blood. In Leviticus 17 it says... For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And then verse 14 of Leviticus 17 says, For as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, You are not to eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. And whoever eats it shall be cut off. So see, the importance of the blood bears... Witness from the Scripture. We do not need to uh, take lightly the fact that the sacrificial lamb gave himself for us, shed his blood for us. It's an important piece in the process that salvation uh, has for us. Hebrews 9.22, jumping into the New Testament. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. No forgiveness. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. Revelation 1, 5. To Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. So grateful, aren't you? So grateful that I've been released from sin because of the blood of Jesus. Now, we find safety in the blood. I want you to see that. The little phrase in verse 13 of Exodus 12, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The perusal. The death angel looked for the blood. If he saw it, And it made a difference. It made all the difference. He then would pass over that house. If he didn't see the blood, the firstborn died in that home. Every home. Not a few homes. Every home that did not have the blood over the doorposts. And there's going to come a day, folks, when God will look for that blood once again. And if that blood does not cover you, guess what? You're going to die. And you will die a terrible death because it's going to be an eternal death that will never end. Born once to die twice or born twice to die once. Never forget that. Never forget that. Then then there's the passing over, the actual Passover. The perusal, he's looking. Now there's the passing Christ, our Redeemer, died on the cross, died for the sinner, paid all his due. All who receive him need never fear. Yes, he will pass, will pass over you. 
chiefest of sinners, Jesus will save as he has promised, so he will do. O sinner, hear him, trust in his word, then he will pass, will pass over you. Judgment is coming. All will be there. Who have rejected? Who have refused? O sinner, hasten, let Jesus in. Oh, he will pass, will pass over you. O great compassion, O boundless love, Jesus hath power. Jesus is true. All who believe are safe from the storm. Oh, he will pass, will pass over you. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. An old hymn those words were found in. I will pass over you. But if you don't have that blood, if you don't have that blood covering you, death is all you're going to know. So there's the perusal, there's the passing, and then there's the person. And the last thing that I want you to notice about this lamb and its blood can be found in our text on verse 3, back in Exodus 12. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. And now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to that each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. John Griffith was in his early 20s, newly married, optimistic. He and his wife had been blessed with a beautiful blue-eyed baby who they named Gregory. The stock market crashed in 1929. And they made their way to Missouri to the edge of the Mississippi River. And there he found a job tending one of the great railroad bridges that spanned that massive river. Every day John sat in a control room and he directed the enormous gears of that immense bridge. And by 1937 his son Greg was eight now. And on April 5th, 1937, for the first time, John brought Greg to work with him. Excited, they packed their lunches and they headed off toward that immense bridge. Greg looked on in wide-eyed amazement as his dad would press down the huge lever and raise and lower that big, huge bridge. Noon would soon arrive. After John elevated the bridge and allowed some scheduled ships to pass through, He took his son by the hand and they headed off for lunch. They inched their way down that narrow catwalk and out onto the observation deck that projected some 50 feet out over the majestic Mississippi River. They sat and they watched as these ships passed by. Suddenly they were startled by the sound of a train whistle coming In the near distance, John quickly looked at his watch and saw that it was time for the 107, the Memphis Express, with 400 passengers, would be rushing across that bridge in just a couple of minutes. 
He had just enough time. He instructed his son to stay put. Don't go anywhere. Stay put. So John quickly jumped to his feet. He ran up the catwalk and climbed the steel ladder leading to the control house. And once in, he searched the river to make sure no ships were in sight. And then, as he had been trained to do, he looked straight down beneath the bridge to make certain nothing was below. It was then that he spied something that froze his heart in his chest. For there below him in the massive gearbox that moved the bridge was his son Gregory. Apparently Greg had tried to follow his dad but had fallen off the catwalk. And even now, he was wedged between the teeth of two main cogs in that gearbox. And although he appeared to be conscious, John could see that his son's leg was bleeding. Then, and even more horrifying, a thought came through John's mind. For in that instance, he knew that lowering that bridge meant killing his son. His eyes filled with tears. His mind swirled. What could he do? And in his frantic search, he spied a rope in the control room. He would rush down the ladder and out to the catwalk, tie off the rope, lower himself down, grab his son, climb up the rope, and run back to the control room and lower the bridge. But even as he thought this, he knew the horrible truth. There just was not going to be enough time. He'd never make it. Suddenly he hears the whistle again, and this time it's much closer. The clicking of the locomotive wheels on the track beat out this cadence of doom as it approached that bridge. He heard the puff, puff, puff of the train and its 400 passengers. How could he sacrifice his son, his mother? He could see her tear-stained face. It was his only child. Their beloved son, how could he? But he had no choice. He knew what he had to do. So, with his face buried in his head under his left arm, and he reached and pushed the gear forward. He heard the cries of his son quickly drowning out by, drowned out by the relentless sound of the bridge as it was lowering. With only seconds to spare, the Memphis Express roared across the bridge safely. John Griffith lifted his tear-stained face. He looked into the windows of the passing train, a businessman reading the newspaper, a uniformed conductor glancing nonchalantly at his large vest pocket watch, ladies sipping their afternoon tea in the dining cars, a small boy looking strangely like his own son Greg pushed a long thin spoon into a large dish of ice cream. Many of the passengers seemed to be in either idle conversation or careless laughter. But no one looked John's way. No one even cast a glance at the giant gearbox that housed the mangled remains of his son 
his blue-eyed boy. In anguish, John pounded the glass in the control room and he cries out, What's the matter with you people? Don't you care? Don't you know what I have sacrificed for you? Doesn't anyone care? No one heard. Soon the train disappears over the horizon. And the truth of that story is the truth of our story. And it's that the blood of the Son made the difference. The blood of the Son made the difference. Father, I ask you this morning, would we, for a moment, just calculate the enormity of what you went through when you were sitting in the control room watching your son be beaten, watching your son being tormented, watching your son being nailed to a cross, watching your son being lifted up. And as the cross dropped into the hole that was dug with a deep sounding thud, He hung there. For nine agonizing hours, He hung there. And finally when He said, It is finished. We can understand that the blood of the Lamb made the difference. And God, we will always be grateful that You loved us enough to push the lever. Is there one here today? Just one. Just one who would say, Jesus, I'm drifting. I need to get back tight with You. Is there just one who's never claimed as their Savior who might make that great decision today? God, if there's just one, would they respond today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.